like when we didn't have the backup recording, I was so nervous. I was like, this thing is totally going to like disappear into the ether and we're gonna have to do it all over again, which is always Ferber's favorite thing in the world. We'll do it live. (laughs) We'll do it live. All right. CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, July the 27th. Virginia will be on the practice field for fall training camp uh, here very soon. Uh, the Cavalier Media Day coming up tomorrow as we record this. Um, you know, football is really, really, truly right around the corner because we have preseason all ACC stuff to be angry about. We will talk about all of that, as well as uh, Ferber did a, you know, his, his he's, he sets the bar pretty high for himself. The film room stuff on the offense and sort of what Tony uh, Elliott, almost called him Tony Bennett. How many times am I going to do that this season? Stick around and find out uh, what Tony Elliott's offense is going to look like. And um, certainly there's going to be um, a lot of questions answered once football gets played. But why wait? Right. We might as well speculate because that's more fun. So we're going to talk a little bit about sort of where the offense, you know, some of Ferber's takeaways from having done so much film study of uh, the, the system that Elliott and company are bringing. Um, granted, some of it probably will be tweaked to some degree, but, um, you know, by and large, I think, you know, you have a sense of like what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First in Fishersville, uh, podcast, sorry, let's see, message board. Why did I say podcast? That was weird. Message board uh, moderator du jour. David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Going well. I brought a lot of histamine to the party tonight, so you guys enjoy this. Um, the Barry White is on the house tonight. Who who is on the board at? Who is on Twitter? I feel like we should have a, a website that's like, does Dave have COVID.com? And then if somebody checks it, it's like just yes or no. Um, that seems like a good bit. Um, in uh, Charlottesville, the aforementioned editor-in-chief, Justin Ferber is also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Not too bad. Um, I've watched enough Clemson offense to for a lifetime, really, over the last few weeks. So, looking forward to finding um, some much like harder to find clips of Air Force um, stealth <laughs> Air Force clips. <laughs> I would put a Top Gun joke in here, but I know that's the Navy, and I don't want to, you know. That yeah, that, no, we don't get yelled at. Uh, people get very sensitive about that kind of thing. So, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates. With uh, in-game updates, which will return here very soon, the uh, content items and the occasional witty banter. I, I want to make a joke that I made uh, to Ferber the other day. I guess was that yesterday? God, that could have been this morning. I don't even know what day it is. Um, Ferber transitioned from calling DJ to DJU because um, he didn't want to spell his name that many times. And I was like, I've never, I don't think I've ever uh, uh, aligned more with with a writer in my life. I was like, yeah, I get it. 
Every time I wrote his name correctly, I was like, that's not right. That just can't be. <laughs> that's a copy and paste sort of thing. It's like you copy it once and you paste it. Do you want to, you know my secret for making sure you don't misspell stuff like that? Is once it's on the page once, I, I search it, right? And on the page. And so basically then as, as I go through, like basically all of the ones where his name is mentioned like that are highlighted. I did the same thing when, when Houston would write those stories on um, Milan uh, Monklevic Mon, or... How, I don't know. How Mom Silovich. There you go. That kid. You were I close same, though. I, <laughs> I, uh, I I did the same thing with those, where I was like, search the page, make sure that there were no random versions of it that were not highlighted, and then it keep on uh, moving. Can, so, oh, all right, like real quick. U I A G A L E L E I. Ui Ungalale. Ferber, I know you you watched a lot of Clemson, but for a second there, it sounded like you were doing the Clemson spelling it out thing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and he's got like a little brother who's really good, right? He does, yeah, he does, yeah, yeah. And his dad is like Big Dave, or whatever. <laughs> and it's just like uh, it's just the whole thing. Um, They're like, no, yeah, I, we'll just call him Big Dave. We're not going to do the last. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a fun little one. All right, let's let's get back let's get back on things that people probably care about. All right. Um, Preseason all ACC came out today. Um, I guess it's not really a surprise considering the other quarterbacks in the league that Brennan Armstrong was not mentioned. Um, now, one thing about the preseason team that's a little bit different is there is no honorable mention. There is no um, – you, you don't really get the depth of voting. You essentially get, like, the main dudes, and that's it, right? Um, I don't think there's even a second team, is there? It's all first team? It's There's no second, no honorable yeah. mention. Yeah, it's just first team. So, so in, in essence, like, you probably had to feel pretty good that, you know, Brennan probably wasn't going to unseat Hartman. And, uh, uh, I mean, he probably would have been, you know, fourth besides Leary and, and Hartman. Um, Leary getting the player of the year nod, which is the most – I mean, I'm not saying the kid's not going to have a good season. And I'm not even going to say that he's not worth it. But it just boggles my mind a little bit that he's the dude that people pick for ACC preseason player of the year. Um, that's, very, that's very much one of those, like, and I'm going to circle that to come back to uh, after Thanksgiving. Um but yeah, no Brennan Armstrong on the team, no Dontavian Wicks. And in the travesty of travesties that can be preseason voting for these kinds of things, I mean, that's pretty bad. Now, that being said, as I you know said on Twitter tonight, listen, there were five wide receivers from the ACC on the Bolitnikoff Award watch list. I know, it's a watch list. I get it. Dave already busted me on it earlier. But three of them from the ACC were on there, made the all-ACC team, the other two are UVA. Take that for what you think it's worth. Um, I don't know if that's a disrespect thing. I don't know, you know, what it might be, but it it certainly is um, disappointing to me, at least that Wicks didn't didn't make the team. Uh, Dave, were you surprised to not see Dontavian on that list? Yeah, I was surprised, man. I, like I was just curious. I didn't expect to see Brendan, but I mainly looked at the list just to see if maybe he surprised and made it. Um, and then I was like, wait a minute, where's Wicks? Um, it makes no sense to me. Like I, I didn't notice it. it until you said something about it. Yeah, I just I was, was like, like yeah. I just skipped over that. I was like, oh, cool. Keaton made it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I saw Keaton. Yeah, but I was like, wait a minute, I don't see Wicks in here, and it makes no sense. But and there's three wide receivers on the first team. It's not like they did two wide receivers and two tight ends, and that's why he got left off. But I, I personally wouldn't trade Wicks for any of the three who made it before him. So Those Downs, I'm assuming. Yeah, Downs. Um. Perry, flowers right? and Perry, yeah. Flowers, yeah. Um, yeah. Wicks, Wicks is really good. And so so I got to thinking, like, what's what are the voters thinking with this? Did they 
do they assume we're going to throw the ball less? Probably. Um, but they also voted Tucker first team as running back. And I can promise you, he's not going to run it as much. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but yeah, if I'll take three with a chip on his shoulder, if it motivates him, um, that was my first, I, I, ex- I expect he'll be there at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, like I said, I was a little bit surprised um, because it, it was funny because like sometimes in these things, like there's a sort of, um, conventional wisdom around each team right oh you know this kid is going to be on the team or that kid's going to be on the team and and fans and media types and and those kinds of like all of us basically sort of like get in the mix together we're like oh yeah because you know these two guys are totally going to be on the team but the question is who else makes it beyond them right so for you know to dave's point you know he went up there looking looking to see if brendan was and then saw wicks wasn't um i don't I don't think that in a in a in a setup like this, Ferber, where you don't have second team and honorable mention, that it, that you can bang on them, but so hard. I will say though, look at the voting, like look at the numbers for each of those dudes, and it's it. There's like an interesting story within the story to me, which is like where the where things were spread out versus um, where they weren't. Um, where so tell me, were you surprised to to not see Wicks on the on the list? Yeah, I was. Um... I think last week we were talking about it when the media days were actually happening. And I, I thought um, Wicks would be like a lock for first team. Thompson could maybe make it. And I thought that was because they have that all purpose position. Um, and then I, I knew, I, I mean, I was very confident that Brennan would not make it um, over Leary or even Van Dyke or some of these other guys that I know people like. So, um, and that's okay. I mean, he still finished like fourth in the preseason player of the year voting. Um, so he's still pretty respected, I would say. Um, yeah, Wicks was surprising. The Zay Flowers pick over him was weird, just given like his stats from last year. I guess maybe the if I was trying to get in the mind of the voter, um, they were thinking like his stats were bad because he didn't have a starting quarterback most of the season. If you go back to the season before, he had a really nice year. He had like a Wicks caliber year. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of strange usually voters are lazy in the way they do it. So they wouldn't be thinking that deep, you know, they would just kind of like look at the stats. <laughs> and, and that's why I was surprised that Wicks didn't get included just like pure number of touchdowns. But um, I also thought it was interesting too, like throughout the week last week and then this week, just like listening to what people have said on TV or reading or podcasts, whatever, a lot of the national guys bring up Keaton first. Um, and I don't really think there's a, like a problem with that or anything. But it almost feels like people think he's like UVA's number one receiver and Wicks is like a second receiver or something. And I don't really see them that way. And maybe the reason I don't is because Keaton was used so differently in in 2020. And um, Wicks is just more of a prototypical outside wide receiver. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's definitely cool to have both of those guys, you know, good. And and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Wicks probably didn't miss it by much. If I had to guess, like I would assume he was probably pretty close to making it. So um, definitely weird, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's just kind of topic conversation stuff. Yeah, I think it, it's it's interesting to me because on the one hand, I think these things really do sort of set the tone for not just like what are we what are we talking about going into the start of the season, but also sort of the measuring stick of, of sorts, right? So I think all of us understand how good Wix is, and that UVA has legitimately one of the best wide receiving cores in the country, certainly in the ACC. But, you know, also in the country. And this is the kind of thing that I think, you know, on the fan side, it really, it really, you know, grinds your gears, right? Because how often are you going to have 
the offensive weapons that Virginia has this season. Now, granted, the offensive line is a, is 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 the is the question mark, and that's the work in progress. And certainly, we're going to discuss that a whole lot this season, right? But you got not just a guy who was going to you know on the on pace at least to break the ACC single season um, passing record. Right. And had he, and he and, and to do so in far fewer games than than the record holder set, you know, in the season in which he, he did it. Right. And then in addition to that, you look at like to your point just a second ago, Ferber, like the idea of like, you know, people around the league or around whatever look at and they see Thompson and then like you don't even consider Wicks and you don't consider, you know, Lavelle Davis and you're not considering Billy Kemp. And you're just like, my goodness, like, what are y'all doing? Um, there is a lot of depth to, to this group. And the fact that even given, you know, last season that they still can't get that respect, that's frustrating. You know, now I, you know, it's, as I've, you know, as, as I've no doubt suspected for a while, like a lot of people are going to think that Brennan's 2021 numbers were a flash in the pan, that that was essentially just, you know, a fluke that he can't do it again. That kind of thing. That's, that's normal, right? That's, that's, that's normal for what people who don't necessarily pay close attention will think and or they'll think it was a byproduct of a system right yeah. exactly and what's funny is that now the system is going to change right and they're going to try to be more balanced and his numbers probably won't be anywhere near what they were last year because they don't necessarily need to be unless of course he's just balling all over the place and they're turning huge plays into touchdowns and the offense isn't even really able to sort of get itself right and if that's the quote-unquote problem they have then hell we're all going to be very happy you know we're all going to have a merry christmas right but um the, the Wicks thing is funny to me because anybody who I think who, you know, Ferber made the point a minute ago, like, well, you, you think that like just by looking at the numbers, you know, from touchdowns perspective, a lot of these voters are no disrespect to my, you know, media brethren and stuff, but they're lazy. Unfortunately, like the fact that like you have some names of other receivers at other schools, like I'm not saying that Zay Flowers has a bigger profile or whatever than Wicks or whatever. Uh, or that A.T. Perry does. But I think when you think about sort of the bona fides from last season and you think about sort of the way that people look at the league, right, uh, it doesn't surprise me that Virginia doesn't have a receiver who gets the respect that he actually deserves. It, it surprises me if if Brendan Armstrong had become, you know, was a, you know, was a pick on first team, right, um, that would have surprised me. What I find fascinating about this, all right, is they have total votes in parentheses on this this list, right? The league's player of the year, the preseason player of the year in the league, okay? He got 56 total votes, right? Now, to put that in context, Tucker had 125. Will Shipley, the other running back, 112. Downs, Perry, Flowers, 128, 111, 104. Again, Leary, the preseason player of the year in the conference, had 56 total votes. Yeah, right? less than KT. All right. <laughs> Will that Mallory shows you, like the quarterback position, right? Know, how that is exactly. Will Mallory, the tight end, had sixty nine. Nice. Uh, Keaton Thompson had seventy. Uh, Jordan McFadden, one twenty seven. Zion Nelson from Miami, an offensive tackle, eighty two. All right. Caleb Chandler, Louisville, hundred four. Christian Mahogany, what? That's a great name from Boston College, at sixty seven. Grant Gibson from NC State at center at ninety. So, to just put a cap on that. The player of the year, the preseason player of the year, had the fewest votes of any offensive player on the preseason all ACC full team. And the, I, the top vote getter was like one twenty something. Yeah, one twenty seven for the McFadden kid. Yeah, so basically, like 
Leary. Or sorry, one eighty. Like, Josh Downs was one twenty eight. Leary wasn't even a majority pick. He was exactly. like the. He was like the whatever the. I, I forget. I haven't taken political science in a while. He, yeah, um, it was a yeah. He was he wasn't a, it was a plurality as well. Plurality, yeah. thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> I would like to say for the record that was political science at James Madison. Anyway, but do you see my like I I implore you, dear listener, to find me another season where the ACC preseason player of the year was the had the fewest number of votes among the players for preseason uh, all ACC on that side of the ball. I implore you to find that gentleman's name. And please send it to me at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, okay? Um, because I, I just cannot imagine that that has happened. If it is his, if it's ever happened, it has certainly not happened very often. I, I and one vote for imagine. Brendan Motley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a that's a throwback there, kid. Virginia Tech didn't have anybody on. First yeah, Virginia Tech didn't have anybody. Um, all right. Let, since I already went through the offensive team, let's talk about the defensive team. Miles Murphy from Clemson won twenty at defensive end. Um, he was the highest vote getter on that side of the. Oh line. no, you no you players on the yeah, no, Well, all right. Now, to be fair, I would not. I guess have Nick been, Jackson could. I would not have make, been totally yeah, shocked but, if Nick Jackson had snuck in there. I mean, hell, Peyton Wilson only had sixty, although you know, the player of the year only had fifty six. Anyway, I'm, I'm I'm now I'm really kind of beating that joke into the uh, ground. Um, not a whole lot of surprises to me on the defensive side. To be quite honest, there are a lot of people enamored with NC State. That I'm, I mean, NC State has. They're setting themselves up for disappointment. They really are. <laughs> they really are, right? NC State has like six dudes on first team between offense and defense, right? They got Leary. They got the center, uh, Gibson, right? And then on defense, they've got Drake Thomas and Peyton Wilson. NC State has two of the three linebackers on the preseason All ACC team. Like, on what planet? I'm not, no disrespect. Those guys Peyton are both Wilson. good. They're yeah, good, they're but good. like, but like, this is not one of those things that happens. This is. I'm not usually gonna it's able- just like insert Clemson player here. It, yeah, it <laughs> really is. It really is. Um, and then of course they've got Tanner Engel, uh, if he can stay in the game at safety as well. Um, I would just like to stay for the record that everybody on defense got more votes than the player of the year as well. Um, the only person who got close was, um, for specialist Josh Downs had 57. He was I'd like to see how that, uh, how that shook out. Like how the it really would be fascinating. Votes. Yeah, it would. Cause I'm now, assuming you have like Tyler Van Dyke would probably have like 40 and then Brendan probably had like 30 40. or something, you know? Yeah. Something like <laughs> yeah. that. And then Hartman obviously is in there and you know, you might have like a weird Keaton Slovis or yeah. something like, well, here's, this COVID. is also, this is a good indication too. So for preseason player of the year, Leary yeah. had the most votes, uh, votes at 40. Hartman came in at 30. Van Dyke at 21. And then um, Brennan and, and and the breezy kid down at Clemson tied at 14 for, for four. Yeah. So I guess that's probably how it broke out for, for, for and so then if Cunningham you think about, had 12. You know? and Cunningham yeah. Had 12, Cunningham. Right. yeah. So you had a bunch of quarterbacks that were kind of splitting the vote. Nobody having any sort of real traction. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense, but like, I'm not going to play the whole like Carolina media thing here. I just will say that like the fact that the fact that state got so many dudes on this team. I'm again. I think state's going to be good. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that like this is a travesty, right? Like we don't. Nobody needs to grab. Don't don't grab a pitch for, a pitchfork. Like just leave the pitchforks alone. Um, no pitchforks. But it is kind of funny to me that like they have so many of these dudes and then two of the three linebackers. I mean, again, I know the Wilson kid's good. I know Drake Thomas is good. I'm just saying that the two of them getting 152 votes combined is wild. Um, that's all. I mean, you know, that's just me. 
Um, all right. Any other, um, you know, preseason beefs? Um, I mean, I think it's just hysterical to me that, that there are two kids on the Blitnikoff Award watch list and neither one of them uh, made preseason on ACC. Um, Putting a Nick, defensive tackle player of the year <laughs> you know, tied with Brennan. That's pretty bold. That That is a bold yeah. choice. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's he one was, of those he was the number one player in the nation coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, but they so also like, had I their think other defensive linemen had tw- uh, not. Uh, Murphy had five. Murphy, votes. yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. They, I think they were in the same class. Yeah. I think like those two guys, people just expect them to be like, beasts but yeah i can't imagine like a defensive tackle getting acc player of the year um it just doesn't make sense to me um but yeah i mean i guess people just kind of vote the way they feel so i think preseason player of the year they're they're looking at what the team's going to be and you know who's the best player on the best team and you're right like if clemson has a good year it's probably going to be a defensive lineman um if nc state wins a atlantic it's larry's going to have a good year but yeah it's i mean it's fine i just the wicks thing is just you can't make that not mind-boggling to me. I feel like ACC Player of the Year, like the actual who wins it, is like really wide open. Um, it really is. It's probably as wide open as it's ever been. I mean, you know, no, again, no, just I, I really am not trying to bag on Leary. Like this is not necessarily about him per se, as it is like sort of like the bigger picture. Um, but like if you think about like sort of where the league is and who could be good and and you know all that fun stuff, like. There are so many good quarterbacks in the league, and then there's sort of a, you know, if you think about the defensive side of the ball, you know, Breezy's probably like the one sort of marquee, you know, name kind of guy on that side, right? Um, certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of talent on that. I'm not saying like the ACC doesn't have any defense. I'm just saying that like it's going to be one of those quarterbacks, and really it's about like, well, which one of them has the best season? Um, and if Clemson, I think it'll be those guys, Sean Tucker, because he could end up still rushing for a bunch of yards. If true. And I kind of like let's. I I listen. We're gonna have we're gonna talk about that as the season goes. And then also Downs, I think, is probably gonna be in the mix. Downs is an interesting. Yeah, Downs is gonna be an interesting one because like, what's his what what are his numbers? He could put up some 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 stuff, but at the same time, like, who's throwing? But I could ball? also this this also screams like the year that like a random person wins. Like, it does. Yeah, it does. It does. Like somebody that we haven't talked about. Like DJU. <laughs> yeah, or like uh, Zay Flowers or something. Did you say DJU? Like, Did you yeah, really? DJU. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think there's a – we'll get into it. But, like, there's a way that it could work out for him if they go 12-0 and 0 and he's, like, Well, I was, that was actually where I was yeah. going a minute ago. Or like, Will yeah. Shipley. I think that's a dark horse. Like – yeah, if he just carries them, he's got. Well, he's got to stay healthy though. His problem last year was that, like every time I saw him play, he'd have like one great play, and then he was out for four plays. You know, I feel like yeah. he got dinged up more than any running back I watched much of last year. Um, but no, that was the point I was going to make. Forever was it like you know we're all kind of sort of I don't want to say we're forgetting the sleeping giant over there, but like Clemson was picked to to win the league, right? Um, and I mean, it certainly could. It's certainly plausible that one of them is going to you know, um, you know, make a big, you know, make a big play. Um, you know, one of the, one of those Clemson kids, whether, whether it's some guy we know about right now or GJU or whatever, uh, speaking of preseason stuff, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna roll out in a couple weeks. We'll have our normal prop bet, um, podcast Ferber, I'm sure is working diligently already to in between. I, I try not to do them until we're closer to the season because like, I don't like, I want to account for injuries and stuff like that True. Um, through camp. Um, so we will have that. And then we have our, our, our normal sort of prediction podcast where we will all predict UVA to be like undefeated and cutting down the nets. 
Uh, that's <laughs> the football thing. nets. I know you like that. Um, we just think they're so awesome. They're going to win the NBA title. Um, they're going to cut the net behind the field goal posts. <laughs> <laughs> cut the net and then <laughs> cut. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so anyway, there so, were, I, I didn't see any surprises though, real quick on the uh, teams, like the divisions. I don't know yeah. if that's where you're going, but yeah, yeah well, I, that's I what I thought I was it was pretty say. standard. Yeah. You know, it, we, we, we got, we've got some time to talk about sort of the ins and outs of UVA. Although we, like I said, we're going to talk about the offense here in a second, but I mean, I was a little bit surprised. It's a touch surprised that the voters, the same voters who said that Don Damian Wicks wasn't first team all ACC also said that UVA was going to, was, was picked higher than tech. Um, I was preparing myself for somebody randomly still picking tech uh, above UVA in, in the coastal. Um, even though I could, I just, you know, could not, you know, really make heads or tails of it. Um, given all somebody the- picked Georgia tech to win the league. Listen, yeah. you can have a lot of listen. that person should lose their vote. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with the like random like one offs. All right. Listen to me. Two people, two people voted for some kid named Jamie Robinson, a safety of Florida State to be the preseason player of the year in the conference. All right. Now, this is worse than last year where we were like, who, who was it? Who was it? Who was the kid from Georgia? It Tech? was what Jameer was Gibbs. Oh, yeah. Jameer Gibbs. We were, we, yeah. Yeah. We, they we, were ahead we, of the curve. <laughs> they were. All right. Three people voted for Trenton Simpson, the linebacker Clemson, to be the player of the year. Okay. Now, I can get, I can get down with most of the, the, the others in that top 10, right? Sean Tucker, even though you come on, people, y'all really think Robert and I is going to run the football? Come on, man. Like, well, also, the, the, if they go like four and eight, he's not winning ACC player of the year. Probably. No, he's certainly not. No, this is, yeah, this is not a, uh, uh, an Eric Green situation over here. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really surprised much by the, the team pecking order either, other than UVA being ahead of tech. I just thought, I just felt for sure, you know, we get kind of screwed about that. Um, all right. Anything else on preseason ACC before we move on to, um, talking about the offense? You guys good? No, I mean, I'm still a little surprised Miami has picked to win it, but I get it. I mean, Miami's got a tough, uh, you know, they play Florida State. And Clemson in the crossover. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, the reason I said that writer should be fired, they play Clemson and Florida State this year too. So, Hey, man, yeah. maybe they really they really believe in that 404 magic, man. Yeah, you know, Pitts, to me, like, I think I would have voted Pitt, even though I don't believe in everything they have coming back just because they've got a they've got Louisville and Syracuse. That's an advantage. Um, but, yeah, Virginia – I'll take it fourth. All right, wait, real quick on Pitt before we leave that, because I just want to talk about this for a second because I think it's hysterical. Um, All right, back in, what was that, 2017, like March something of 2017, and UVA beat the brakes off of Pittsburgh, right? And I joke about how, like, no coach had ever hated his team more than old boy did that day. I mean, like, I've never seen a coach come to a microphone and hate his team more. Kevin I've Sons. never, yes, I have never in my life sent, I mean, like, again, like, what's it been, five years now? Um, I, th- like, Pat Narduzzi just, like, throwing Mark Wimble under the bus like that. Oh, it was painful. Was, it was, like, I cringed so hard and yet loved every second of it. I mean, and Listen, let us not forget that they won ten games. They won ten the games. <laughs> they won the and then their quarterback went to New York for the Heisman Trophy. Seriously, there. they had a Heisman. You know, like this dude is it's not like things like, were bad. Like, yeah, he is. You think he gave that same speech when he was recruiting Slovis? Yeah, yeah seriously. Not. Oh my goodness. I mean, like, and what's funny is that like, Jordan Addison's like, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. Pat is crazy. Um, no, man. Like, I, I, like, I get being frustrated you know oh man we weren't very but, but like it kind of worked you know it'd be like if you were really angry UVA didn't have a thousand yard rusher last year well okay like 
why? Like, what is your deal? Also, and, he was talking about how they didn't run the ball enough against Wake, and I'm pretty sure they scored like 40-something points. <laughs> like, it's not like they didn't have any success. I don't understand. Nardi That's just like an antiquated way of thinking about football, I think. Nar- yeah, I mean, and I get it on some but level. But it's still like, funny. <laughs> I get it from his standpoint of like what he the, the program he wants to have, which, you know, if you're a recruit, maybe maybe you should take this into account. But the program he wants to have is that, right? Which is, oh, it's, yeah, we're going to run the ball. We're going to be multiple. We're going to, you know, tight end you to death. You know, you know, we're They're not going to be need to be more like that this year. I would imagine. Yeah, seriously. And, know, you know, I know, if we're, uh, I know Tony Covenant listens sometimes, like so he'll be proud to hear this. But like after watching Virginia last year and Pitt last year, if I was on the fence about believing having a team that runs the ball makes your defense tougher, like last year proved it. You know, because that was the least. That was the. They were still good, but they weren't the same Pitt defense. No, they weren't. Yeah, last they year. weren't. They weren't. And, and I think the pressure is off a little bit too. Like when you when you score the way that they do, it's like well, like we don't have to get every stop. Like, um, you know, our offense is going to score. Right. Whether they will or not, you know. (laughs) Honestly, I could also see after Narduzzi's whole experience with the Jordan Addison circus, right? And if he thought like Whipple and and the, and what role, you know, I mean, there was, it was clear, it was clear to me in both the way he left and then certainly in the way Pat talked about him that there is a whole, there was a whole lot of stuff going on last year, right? Like, even amid all that success. And I'm not sure how much that did or didn't play into Jordan leaving. And certainly there was a lot of stuff going on there as well. Um, but yeah, the whole thing, he just sounded, he just sounded angry, man, which is not typically the way you sound after you have as much success as that offense had last year. If, and that team had last year, you know, it's just, it's very interesting to me. So anyway, I had to mention it. Cause like, what is it up as, what is it up with Pittsburgh and coaches, you know, coaches hating their players, coaches hating their coordinators, you know, it's just a, it's just a, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a Pittsburgh thing against. Must but, be in the catch up. Uh, rest in peace. Um, all right, let's move over to UVA's offense. Uh, Ferber, it lets folks, if you have not done the film room deep dives, um, please, you know, rectify that situation post haste. Um, Ferber did an incredible job. I think of really sort of, putting the um you know sort of putting the frame around okay this is what this is what you can expect right we might not you know we we we, we obviously po- we can't possibly know like okay these are the specific formations we don't know the personnel packages and all that fun stuff but like you can get a sense at least when you watch you know a pr- a play caller or you watch schemes you know over several seasons and you're and you're looking at you know, not just like, oh, what was the success they did or didn't have last year, but what, what what went into it in the years before? Like, what were they building, right? What direction were they trying to go? And I think that's an interesting question with Tony Elliott because he's not going to have, spoiler alert, he's not going to have the talent at UVA that he did at Clemson, right? Trevor Lawrence ain't walking through that door, right? He, <laughs> he running up that hill, sorry. Um, but what I find interesting about the work you did Ferber, and I'm really curious to get your, your kind of vantage point on this as you uh, look back on it is like a lot of what you saw, I think translates, right? You're, you certainly, you know, when you put top end talent in a system, most systems are going to look pretty good, right? If they're, if they're even remotely coherent, right? And you put really great players in, in a system and they're going to make the system look better than it probably is. But you could see a lot of the, the places where this makes a lot of sense for UVA in terms of what UVA wants to do. Cause a lot of it is much more about sort of decision-making in the moment than it is necessarily like out athleting 
the other team. Certainly Clemson was able to do that in spots, right? Um, ETN is really good or Trevor Lawrence is really good and they just kind of go out there and do really good stuff, right? But a lot of the scheme itself was really based around good, sound ideas that I think can translate to UVA having a very successful offense. As you went through it, what were some of your sort of um, – you know, sort of bottom line takeaways. And once you got done watching the mountain of film that you watched on Clemson. Yeah. I mean, and kind of actually like going back, I remember being at the 2019, like the ACC championship game. And one of the, I don't remember what play it was that made me say this, but I remember saying to you at one point, like the people that think this is just like pure talent and they don't have like good schemes and like good coaching is they're just missing the mark. Like, and I kind of saw that again, you know, when I went back and watched it, like, yes, there is talent. But, like, go watch them play Alabama. And, you know, Alabama has just as much talent on defense Clemson has on offense. And they're still moving the ball and scoring. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of the stuff that can kind of, I would say, overlaps with what UVA was doing because UVA's offense was kind of in this, like, multiple shotgun-based spread anyway. Um, So I think that there's a lot of overlap in terms of, like, I think it'll be easier for the learning curve of the players that because you have a lot of veteran players on the offense outside of the offensive line. Um, So I think for those guys, it'll be easier to kind of learn this system than it may be if they were transitioning um, from like the Steve Fairchild, more pro style offense or something. Um, There's definitely some similarities, uh, definitely more of an emphasis on running the ball, which we, you know, just mentioned, Um, you know, I think, one of the big takeaways for me was just the the use of reads and play action. That was like stuff you might see in an eyes offense, but not at the same level. We, we long talked about how they didn't really do true reads. It was more like it looked like a read, but it was a predetermined decision. You know, um, the one thing that kind of struck me about Trevor Lawrence that I, it makes me excited for what Brennan might be able to do this year is like, you could see his decision-making was elite. So you know, pre-snap, he's identifying coverages. He's he's deciding a lot of times before the snap where he needs to go with the ball um, based on, you know, how teams rolling coverage and things like that. And then also his post-snap decision-making was great too, um, you know, with the reads and, and options and things like that. I think Brennan is the type of guy, given his experience, that can really take that and, and do some of the same things. He doesn't have the arm talent that Trevor Lawrence has, but he probably has a lot of the mental part of the game down just given like how much he probably had to do in the Latin the and I offense and um, you know what he's going to be asked to do here so I think the short passing game I think will be another asset to this team and something that they'll lean on a lot something they did last year too but um, you know quick decisions kind of knowing where your routes are knowing where your hot guys are um, sometimes it's just like do the easy thing like give the ball to throw the ball to the flat you know let guys block um, but yeah I mean I think You'll see more quarterback runs probably. Um, I know that they'll probably try to keep Brennan healthy, but, um, you know, more reads, more option stuff, pitches, stuff like that. Um, It's certainly a modern offense, but um, if you've watched like Gus Malzahn's offenses or anything like that, you can see it's not, it's not like an air raid spread. It's more like spread to run, spread to play action, spread to read. Um, And, and I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there, but um, yeah, I mean, the big thing this year, I think, is going to be just finding guys to make blocks. <laughs> and and then I think everything else will sort of fall into place. One And also find a running back that can kind of do all the different things you want. Because one of the things that made Clemson's offense good is that defenses had so much to respect that they couldn't, like, cheat off of guys too much. And when they did, they paid for it. 
I think, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting in, in the timeline of hiring Tony Elliott and sort of, is he the right fit and sort of thinking through like, is he the guy that UVA should go get? Um, you know, we, we all had, we all had watched the nine's offenses go from really kind of, you know, stuck in, in, in mud at times in terms of creating big plays to then all of a sudden being able to do this sort of on repeat. And I think there are a lot of people that had some, you know, some legitimate, you know, trepidation about the idea of like, okay, this thing is cooking. Uh, it's going to, it's going to kind of suck to, to upend this momentum. I saw a quote from Brennan though, the other day talking about sort of like, he's essentially preparing for the NFL by playing in an NFL offense. And what's funny about that is like, when you think of like the Fairchild years or time, I don't know how long was he there? Um, when you think about that era, right. And the idea of like, um, there was a whole, there was this whole kind of, um, this whole sort of conflict, right. Between the idea of what, you know, what amounted to a pro style offense versus sort of like the, the, you know, the more fun college offenses, the area and all that fun stuff. Right. Well, the, the, the pro style has sort of changed now and making these decisions and, and doing things is a lot more important than, you know, Oh, we're going to put 1500 personnel packages in the offense and we're going to move everybody around. But what's what I found interesting for is that as I was, you know, sort of going through the the different film rooms that you did, you, you sort of get a sense of like, well, whereas Anai used motion and personnel packages, Clemson does some similar, they kind of get to a similar place. They just do it differently. Does that make, am I, am I right in sort of mm-hmm. in framing it that way? Yeah, I think it's more about like pre-snap reads and things like that than it is like, let me get Billy Kemp on an island with a linebacker, which is still smart football. I don't want to make it seem like that's not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say like the disadvantage that that has is just like it takes a lot of time. And then also you're constantly taking guys in and out. And I felt like, I, I don't know. I mean, when I watched Clemson's offense, I didn't see a lot of plays where like their best receiver was out of the game on like third and six, but I did feel like that happened quite a bit in a nice offense. Um, just because I remember like getting so frustrated when they would have like Zacchaeus on the sideline um, on like a critical play. It's like, why would you take him off the field? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, getting guys in the right spot. Like I would see, you know, UVA would play like I was watching their, their two games against UVA in this and, you know, like UVA is playing too far off and it's like, okay, cool. We'll just take what we give you. And our quarterback's too good to like make a mistake. That's going to really cost us here. So we'll just take the easy out, take the three or four yards. And then if our other receiver makes his block, then it's a 10, 15, 20, 50 yard play. Um, Things like that. I think it's, and, and then just kind of like the reads and things. One of the things that kind of stuck with me and it was stuff that I was reading a lot about, you know, with like the Chad Morris offense stuff. And I know Davey's gone down a similar wormhole at some point but it a lot of what they're trying to do it doesn't it's not rocket science but it's use play a to set up play b later or use play a three times to set up play b later you know if you go back and watch those film rooms there's a lot of like here's the pitch play and everybody's been focusing on the pitch play all week in practice because they'll run it five times a game you got to know how to stop it and then you watch the linebackers like totally bite on it and just the middle of the field's wide open for the pass of the h-back and stuff like that. And it's a lot of like setting things up and you have to be successful in those first few plays to set up the other stuff. But um, I think this first year will be interesting because he's coming into an offense with like veteran skill guys that are going to be able to actually execute it, I think. And it's not going to be so much about the basics. Like he might be able to like run everything with this, with these guys. So 
Um, it'll be interesting. And another thing I want to mention too is like this is Tony Elliott's Clemson offense, which comes from Chad Morris's Clemson offense. But I would assume that Des Kitchings will add some things that he brings along from his experiences at, at NC State, South Carolina, and the Falcons. Um, they did some interesting running back stuff there, especially with big backs. Um, Jalen Samuels at NC State, for example, is sort of like a tight end running back hybrid. Um, you know, you saw that with Cordell Patterson with the Falcons last year with like a running back wide receiver hybrid. So you have Keaton Thompson. I'm interested to see how that goes. So I'm sure it'll be like a little different than what they were doing at Clemson. But um, I really was intrigued by like the H back offense too. And just like how you can move that player around and do different things. But yeah, it's a lot about like using formations and things to set teams up to like guess wrong. I would say like, that's how I would describe it. Dave, and Ferber mentioned you've you've done some some deep dives of your own. I'm just curious, you know, beyond you know whether you're chiming in with stuff that Ferber talked about in his film rooms, or if you've seen some other yeah. you know tendencies and things that stand out. What are some of your takeaways from um, seeing his his offense and sort of what UVA is is going to put out on the field this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was what six months ago, Ferber. We kind of both kind of went down the uh, Morris wormhole on those YouTube videos, and they're good. And you, you guys should go find them because that's basically what Elliott's offense is. Um, I think the take-home message is they're trying to get to the same place Dr. Bob was. You know, they're trying to create mismatches just in a different fashion. Um, And in the way they do it, it's a little easier to replicate with the, you know, on a consistent basis. Um, And it allows you to have more balance than we ever saw from Virginia versions of Dr. Bob's offense. Um, you know, at BYU, he had some offenses that ran the ball and with more power. Um, yeah, Jamal Williams, I mean, he yeah, had, like, a big year. Yeah, Williams and Taysom Hill, like, that was a different style of offense than we saw, like, when Tanner Mangum was there, um, when Taysom got injured. So, look, they're both trying to do the same thing. They're trying to put their players in a position to take advantage of others. I think what I like a little more out of the Elliott Morris tree, if you will, is – a lot of what they do is predicated on the run, um, just keeping linebackers honest. So, you know, a lot with Dr. Bob, when he runs those sub packages, he'd bring in what five receivers, one play, next play, you might have two tight ends, two backs, you know, and Keaton, like, you know, a completely different look. A lot of times the defense, you know, at some points during the year, the defense just stops trying to match up. You know, they just played their, you know, played a, a nickel base and just because they knew we weren't going to run the ball. Um, but you know, both, both have their advantages that, you know, the, the key is not to, not to like poo poo what Justin did or what we'd all been talking about, but the best Elliott offenses and the best Dr. Bob offenses had the best quarterbacks. Um, and even though the, even though the scheme changes, that's what it comes down to. So with Dr. Bob is a lot of, you know, with last year with Brennan, it's a lot of after the snap reading or after the motion reading, making the best decision and, you know, the Elliot Morris tree, as Justin was talking about, it's a lot more on little things. It's my, you know, we're going to set up this way. We're going to move this wide receiver two yards off over here and he's going to be here. They both do the same thing. Um, I think one is, can be a little more consistent and not to bring up a term we heard a lot in the past, but the complimentary football aspect <laughs> um, to me, I like it a little more out of the Elliot Morris one. And then right. when you couple that with, it's so funny that they use that term. <laughs> like, and they just oh, like, never did it. Yeah. But like, you know, the offense that 
the Clemson runs is a lot more, you know, you mentioned Brennan bringing it up about being ready for the pros, but it's also the offense that most high schools run um, and a lot of other colleges run. So I think it makes it a little easier to, to add pieces as you advance that offense. Um, The learning curve's a little less and, Look, last year's offense, Virginia was was explosive. It wasn't best in the country explosive. It was just explosive. But you know, I, I think I'm excited just to watch something different. And uh, the biggest thing, and one I can't remember which one of you brought it up, was they tend to keep the best players are going to be on the field quite a bit. You know, um, whether you run that with a lot of tempo or not is to be determined. And I think as we will talk about ad nauseum the next six weeks if not through the whole season, predicated on the five guys up front. You made a great point about the quarterback position. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Because I think a lot of people have said, like, you know, with Elliott in general, they're like, you know, he did a lot of great things when he had, like, really good players. But what happened last year? And so I went back and looked, you know. And um, to be honest with you, like, I'm again, 30 minutes ago, I was saying maybe there's a way he becomes ACC player of the year. (laughs) But – I, you know, like watching Trevor Lawrence and then I watched some Deshaun Watson as well. And even some Kelly Bryant stuff, um, the drop off from Trevor Lawrence to DJU was like steep. Like you could tell, um, Lawrence's processing ability was just like a plus. And even going back to like his freshman year, he was like way ahead of where DJU was last year. And, um, and to be fair to DJU, like I wrote this in the piece that, that ran today, but like, his drop rate was up with the guys that he had. His receivers weren't as good. He had a freshman running back replacing Etienne. Um, he had like a bunch of new offensive linemen. So, I mean, like there was a lot of transition going on, but like you have to be able to like on these read plays, it's like you read it right and you make the throw and then the, the guy runs and it catches and runs. Like um, that's how it's set up to work. Or like you hand it off and the guy goes. I felt like he was like holding the ball a little too long and things like that. He missed some, like some of like the seam read throws and things like that. Um, And then as things got worse, he became more unsure of himself. But then if you go watch the second half of the season, they said, let's just make it easier on him. They stopped throwing the ball as much. They let him run the ball more. Um, They got Will Shipley more involved. And in Tony Elliott's last five games, and it, I mean, if you look at the teams they played, they didn't play like a murderer's row, but it wasn't a bunch of FCS teams either. They averaged almost 40 points a game and won every game. So, um, and then they won their bowl game, you know, after he left. So I think they kind of figured things out. And and even like with how, you know, down they were on offense, they still ended up scoring quite a bit at the end of the season and they won 10 games. And, um, you know, and, and we'll see what DJU have, like what happens with him with a new offensive coordinator and if he grows, but I saw a guy that just wasn't like making the plays that needed to be made to kind of mm-hmm. get them all out of the ruts they were getting in. And I think that was their biggest problem for people that are kind of wondering like what happened last year that maybe didn't watch. And I, I remember like the game that sticks with me the most was cause I remember watching it at our tailgate before I think UVA played Georgia tech was when Clemson played at Pitt, and we were all sitting around like, man, they just have, they're like lost you know, like they just can't move the ball. And then there was the play where DJU threw the ball like directly to a defensive tackle for like a pick six or something crazy on like a pitch or something. Um, And it was just all out of sorts. And I'm not saying he's terrible and you can see the talent flash, but like, 
I mean, I think that kind of explains what happened. I, I don't think like the play calling was any different or anything like that. I think they just kind of like struggled to find a way to make the plays that needed to be made. Well, I think, you know, for UVA fans, you know, we, we've watched, you know, Tony Bennett on the other side of the street and, you know, you watch, you watch the championship team and you see, you know, what they can do. Right. And then you watch sort of the offenses we've seen since then. And yeah, I mean, they it's look not, lost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and it's not, they're not, they're not all of a, it's not like the, the scheme all of a sudden isn't any good. Right. It's not like the play is bad. Right. Sometimes it is a, it is not just that the talent has to be to a certain level, but also the talent has to be able to do certain things. And I think that's a very nuanced sort of difference. Right. Like you can look at a kid like DJ and, and think like, yeah, he's a really great prospect. You can see if there's a lot of clay there you can understand like why he was so highly rated, highly recruited and so highly sought after. And yet when you see it in person, you're like, okay, this is not necessarily working as easily as it did for these other guys. Um, that's not to say that either the schemes are, are bad, that the, 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 that the plays are, are, are not being, you know, taught as well or run effectively or whatever. There's just different dudes have different skill sets. That doesn't mean that these guys are not necessarily still very talented. It just, it's more about, you know, there are different things that they fit the way they fit. And one thing I think for, for Tony Elliott is, as the program moves forward is it's not just, you know, what are they going to do with Brennan this year? Right. It's also, you know, what's the future look like at the position? Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, your point about sort of your big takeaway was just sort of like those, those pre-snap reads and stuff like to find the right guy to do sort of the physical side of things and sort of the, the playbook sort of instinctual side of things. Um, you know, that can be a little bit like you're, I think we talk a lot about how like offensive line is the hardest position to recruit because the, the, the highest rated guys aren't necessarily the ones who sort of come to fruition. But I think when, you know, when you're trying to find the right quarterback to fit your scheme, it's not just, you know, physically, can the guy make the throws I need him to make? Can he also make the reads I need him to make before he makes the throws I need him to make? And I think this this scheme is going to be, you know, it's going to be highly relying on people to make the right reads pre-snap, um, to make the right determination on the field. And we've seen what the offense looks like for, for Tony and, and company um, when the quarterback's not doing that, right? Um, and I feel like this year, in, in so many ways, is it's just it's, it's almost unfortunate that, you, that those offensive linemen left um, because you really could – see this group even with a new install being able to have a lot of success if the offensive line wasn't such a question mark so i'm really curious to see what brennan can do with it and how you know how far the offense takes it um Ferber, in terms of the running game we've heard so much about them wanting to be balanced and stuff and you watched a lot of clemson tape um you know how how genuine do you think that that balance talk is do you feel like that's something that we're going to be able to look at the numbers and go oh yeah they weren't kidding or is that going to be more about situational than anything else what do you think i think you have to have like more of a commitment to the running game to run a lot of the stuff that they want to run and a lot of the stuff they want to run like the run plays are sort of the the default and then everything else sort of works around it with fakes and things like that um now i think you can still be a pretty pass heavy team and run this offense i think it you know you have to take your personnel into account and one of the things we're going to find out is like can they run the ball with this offensive line? And if they can, then I think you will see more balance. 
I think, like I said, you'll see more all, like quarterback runs and things like that, or like um, assuming they run things that they ran at Clemson, it's, it's a lot of like get the quarterback to the end, let him read the end, and it's like a speed option or like a little pitch and things like that. So it like basically means you don't have to use a blocker there. The quarterback just reads the guy. So I think you'll have more of that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, there were definitely like some pretty standard running plays, and, and they use that H-back to sort of block – and kind of disguise block and, and run counters and things like that. So I saw a lot of good running concepts um, in, in what I saw. And, um, and, you know, like, unlike I watched a ton of Trevor Lawrence and then a lot of DJU, but like there were a lot of different running backs that cycled through. And so you get to see different types of players get the ball, um, which was good and different skill sets. And I think they really like to throw to the running backs too and get those guys involved. I don't know if they have the guys to do that right now um, with this group, Um they're more like, you know, like a nine never through to the running back really. So um, that'll be a change, but yeah, I think, th- I think they'll be more committed to it than they were in the past, certainly with the previous staff, but I don't necessarily expect them to come out and like ground and pound and stuff like that. When you have a bunch of really good receivers and, and a good quarterback, because like I said, like a lot of what they're trying to do in the throw game is get the ball out quick Um and like make quick decisions and things like that. And you will see max protect plays down the field, which is what UVA did a lot last year. It's like, hold the blocks as long as you can let Brennan go through his reads. You will see some of that, but I I saw a lot of like, you know, first read throw, you know, fake here, throw, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, I, I think they'll still try to do some of that. So I think if they struggle to run the ball, you'll see a lot of like short throws to make up for it. But I expect them to be more balanced than they were before. Uh, I just think this year in particular, they'll probably be maybe more pass heavy than they will be in the years to come. Hmm. What do you think, Dave? Just because of the skill talent. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? I mean, uh, yeah, I think they'll, they'll pass more than Clemson did last year, um, especially into the second part of the year. But a lot of what they do, if the running back isn't going to be a threat, if the quarterback isn't occasionally a threat, then their that system, you know the yeah, who are you faking? The LA to? system doesn't yeah. work, right? Yeah, because at that point the the defense just they don't have multiple linebackers on the field. They have cornerbacks. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna play. You know, they're gonna cover the cover the quick outs, and they're gonna have two seat safeties rolled up deep. So, you know, they, they, you've got to be able to run it at some point, and I think they can. The interesting caveat I think for Virginia is, you know even Brennan healthy all year you know with you're going to have a, an offensive line that's inexperienced um we don't know enough to say not talented because there's talent there it's just you know will they gel how are, you know what are, what do we see when they when they finally take the field against Richmond and, and moving forward but you've got to protect Brennan um especially you know the way the schedule's laid out you know I think Virginia should be able to win a few of the opening games not having to rely on his legs so that he's healthy for the, that tough stretch down the end. Um, and you also have the, you know, the Elliot, this wasn't Elliot's offense is the one he had at Clemson. Right. So there is that caveat not to blow up everything Justin did again, but um, we don't know. Like I'm not redoing it all. <laughs> no, <laughs> we Like, I mean, every, he has his own ideas is, though. You're right. I yeah. mean, and I think they definitely changed things like after he took over play calling and stuff like that. Yeah, and then you've got Des Kitchings, right? Who who left the NFL to take a job as an offensive coordinator? Who's going to have his, you know, his hands in this? So I think you will see a few more wrinkles you didn't see in the Clemson offense, 
probably a lot of jet sweep stuff, a lot more jet sweep stuff than you saw at Clemson the last few years. Not something they didn't do. I just think it might be, you know, the jet sweep, whether it's KT or Billy, um, it might be more of a part of the offense and Starling. than it was there just to limit the amount of quarterback runs to keep running healthy. Um, but we'll see. Like, you know, I'm excited to watch it. I think it, I think it's good. And look, we'll get into it more down the road, I'm sure. But I'm look, I'm worried about the offense a lot. I'm not as worried about other as others are about it because I think this scheme helps the offensive line. Um, when a defensive lineman can't just go forward every play, knowing it's a pass, that that does help. Um, so you know, it's it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I, if there, I do have another worry about the offense other than the offensive line, it's it's the backup quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. how much did Jay miss in the spring, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think he's a great player. Um, but how – you know, Brennan had all spring to learn this offense. How much was Jay actually – you know, baseball is baseball. But, you know, Jay probably got some playbook time in there. But, you know, if something happens, how ready is he? So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, no, no worries. I, like, I feel I like, like one of the, I feel like the thing is with backup quarterbacks, like 90% of teams are kind of screwed if their quarterback gets hurt anyway. You know? yeah. like, I mean, think about it is the what league. it is. You know, think about the league this year. We talked earlier, right, about how many great quarterbacks there are. I mean, how many of them have like a backup who's just like ready to ride in and be like, all right, boys, let's do this. You know, like I think that's sort of the nature of the beast in a lot of ways. I, I feel like, you know, today's point, just a second, he's like very worried about the offensive line. I think that. My my level of worry um, about the offensive line kind of changes day to day. You know, I have these moments where I'm like, yeah, it's probably not going to be that bad. And then I have these moments where it's like, yeah, it's going to be terrible. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the between. And what probably is going to happen is that they're going to be more sound in some ways than we thought and probably more screwed in ways that we didn't. And it's up to Tuesday to sort of, um, you know, get them to a place at least by the opener where they can start to make some progress. I, I will be concerned. I won't be concerned if it's not like all put together and buttoned up right away. I will be concerned if they're still sort of answering questions or trying to, you know, trying to find answers for questions by like, you know, what, uh, September the like 17th or so, right? Um, you know, they, if you're talking about like you're getting to, you know, week three, week four, and they're still trying to figure out who who should do this and that, then then you got some issues. Um, hopefully, you, you know, that process, it's almost like the sooner that process gets ironed out and you know who your guys should be, the the sooner you can actually start to, like, move forward. It's almost like, you know, it's like once you get to a place where you can heal, well, then the healing starts and, 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 and now you're, you're, you know, all your energy is going in the right direction. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying you're wrong to feel the way you feel about the offensive line. Um, I, I think I'm kind of in a place where like most days I'm like that. And then other days I'm like, no, nah, I'm sure they're going to figure it out. Um, Cause I do think there's actually a pretty decent amount of talent up there. It's just not experienced. You know, I think the biggest thing is not just, it's not the talent necessarily. It's the chemistry. Like you have to like make sure the offensive lines I've seen that are bad. Like they don't communicate well. And like guys, like one guy lets another guy through that he was supposed to take. And then the quarterback gets destroyed because <laughs> like the tackle and the guard didn't have the right assignments and things like that. So I think that'll be their biggest thing. And I think you're right. I think if they can settle on five guys pretty quickly, um, you know, I think that would be a big help, but really it's going to be just to do your job, 
sort of thing. And, and luckily for them in some ways, like the running game, like the H back um, plays a pretty big role in like setting edge blocks and doing different things. So they might have some help there and that might be a big thing. I mean, Grant Mish's ability to block will be big and I'm interested to see what they do with the H back position in general. Cause I could see them using KT there and doing all kinds of weird stuff, but like, um, yeah, I think it, they have the talent to be okay. It's just like, you know, the lack of reps and the lack of like playing time together as a five. I think that gave me the biggest concern. And we also have to remember maybe they don't need to score 35 points a game this year. (laughs) Well, we'll maybe maybe the defense is better. Um, The one other thing I want to talk about on the offensive side before we wrap up and sort of turn our attention, you know, next week or whatever to defense I talked earlier about this as a, a stacked wide receiving core. Um, and, you know, they're going to be they're going to be ebbs and flows. You know, when you have this much talent, you know, you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to see them at like full deployment, so to speak. Right. You're just going to have moments where, um, you know, certain guys are not getting the ball as much. I mean, it's just sort of natural when you have this much talent and like, look, they got to stay healthy. You know, if they even get to the opener first. Right. But I'm just curious about putting Lavelle back in the mix. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks, myself included, thought there was a chance he could play last season. Um, certainly as it, you know, from the start, I, you know, the word I kept hearing was like, nah, they're not, they're not going to risk it. Um, and then, you know, depending on who you talk to and depending on when you talk to them, there seemed to be like some momentum to, to have him play and da, 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 da. I think it's pretty apparent that, that they, they took the slower track with him. Um, and you know, he should be in a place where, um, and, you know, knee injuries are all, you know, you're always a little bit worried until guys are really full tilt. But, you know, he should be in a place where he's able to make some really big contributions this year. Um, he came on the scene in such a dramatic fashion in, in 2020. Um, I mean, I I know I, I was on the podcast talking about like, yeah, I think this guy could be pretty good. I did not think he was going to be a meteor, you know. Um, I'm just curious, what do we think about? the receiving core and how he fits in, especially considering the offensive shift. Dave, what do you think? Where, how do you, how do you see them sort of utilizing him and what success look like for him this season, given, you know, the wicks and Thompson and Kemp of it all. That's tough. Like, I, I don't know how he fits. Like he, I don't know if he's a guy you can have on the field every play with this style of offense. Um, but also don't know that he's not, um, just because he was never really asked to to do that role, but we, if you go back and watch him, you know, during that year, you know, his freshman year, he's a good blocker. He's just he's just large. Um, so you know, sometimes height in football is not always an advantage when it comes to leverage and that kind of thing. So, you know, can he be an adequate blocker? You know, will ultimately determine how much playing time he gets in this offense, most likely, and and a lot of the plays. You know, the big plays he made were kind of impro- improvising on the back end, you know, sticking his hand up and running to an open spot or moving. And there's some of that, you know, there's some room for that in, in any offense. But look, the one thing you can't, he's got great hands. He's six, seven, and he's fast. You know, um, they're going to find a role for him. It just, it won't look like what it was before, most likely. But he, you know, it, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think. We never got to see him on the field with all those guys last year. So I don't know who you cover. And if, like, even if it's not, even if he's not able to play, uh, you know, play every, every snap, like you may, even if you can't block like they want him to, 
um, it's still got to be hard to pull them off the field because you can't play off a guy six, seven, cause you're going to get four or five yards. They'll just throw it up and he'll just walk up and grab it. Um, and if you jump him, he's got speed to get behind. So like, I, I don't know. I'm, it's probably one of the most intriguing other than the offensive line. It's probably most, the thing I'm most excited to see is how do they use them? Because Clemson's had some big guys, but they haven't had a guy that big. Um, and his talent, we, we think about his size, but I think his speed gets overlooked just in his size yeah, um, because of his height. Um, and his hands are excellent. So there's no way you can keep that guy on the bench, um, especially as, uh, you know, especially when you get down in the red zone and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, it's a, it's going to be exciting. But, you know, that, that sometimes height can hurt you. And in this offensive scheme, it's probably a little more likely to hurt him than it was in the more wide open stuff. Forward the other night, I had a dream that it, that UVA is playing f- like standard sort of four wide with Wicks, Thompson, Kempen, and Davis. Like kept them on the field and just kept doing doing the thing. Um, and I woke up and I kept thinking, is this a is this a thing they could really do? Like you know. Is this a like not necessarily from like a could they actually do it, but more like would they actually like, could they really do that? And I'm just curious to get your point of view on like how how possible is it that those four trot out and they keep those guys? Because I mean, I think we're we're gonna have to get used to not seeing wholesale substitutions for the first time in a long time. Um, but how realistic is it to think that UVA could really roll out four wide receivers and just keep those four those four guys on the field for long stretches? I mean, I think you could. Um, I think you could because you have a, a diversity of skill sets. Right. So, like, that's something I've brought up before. But you have, like, Wicks and Davis are sort of prototypical, like, outside receivers. Thompson can play inside and outside. Kemp is your kind of, like, wiggle sp- slot guy. But obviously, like, Keaton can do a lot of that inside stuff, too. He can get in the backfield, do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you could see that sort of thing, especially against a team – and let's be honest, I mean, like, you could probably put, like, half the Coastal at least into this conversation. Like, teams that you know don't have the depth in the defensive backfield to cover four good players, like, yeah. you're going to have that a problem a lot. Like, yeah. most guys, most teams can't roll out four receivers of that caliber. Right. Um, and and it's it would really put – it would tax your safeties a lot to have to help out. Um you know, because you know that, like, they're going to have match. If teams try to play man on those four guys, it's going to be a problem. If you play zone, then you can exploit that, too. And I saw that a lot in, in the Clemson offense, just, like, um, using different route combinations to toy with zones and just kind of get guys in bad spots. Um, but, yeah, I think you can do it. I think you definitely can. And um, like, do you, you see know, today you see a world where they could actually use Thompson – Maybe not necessarily in their traditional H-back sort of role, but in a way that sort of gives them a lot of the benefits of those matchup potential. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. Do you think they could do that? Yes. I think I think you can put Keaton in that H-back spot because you can do all kinds of passing concepts from it. I would not line him up there all the time because I think right. that's a waste of his talent. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. But it just know, seemed like from watching block, the, you know, all, all <laughs> from the um, film room stuff, it just seemed like the H back is such a huge chess piece for them. Yeah. That's exactly why I think they could use him in that way. He is sort of a chess piece, you know, like he can do so many different things as a runner, as a receiver. So, um, yeah, I think you can. And I think they, they probably will. Um, at some point I would imagine they'd give it a shot. Um, 
because you almost use him like a tight end, you know, and at times, especially lined up off, off tackle, like those guys can leak out in the flat they can leak into the center of the field. Um, you can do them on like cross blocks. You can have them as a lead blocker. You can do all kinds of different things with them. And then it, it like, if you put grant mission that spot, I think you can sort of expect him to be used like a tight end. Um, and Mish, you know, as we know, isn't like the biggest fa- or like the fastest guy. So he's not going to be like, you know, blown right. by linebackers and on his routes. But if you put Keaton there, I mean, you have to sort of be aware of where he is. Right. You know, yeah, there's an account. Times. Yeah, you gotta yeah, you gotta account for him in that. And so like if you're worried about him as a and, and he is a pretty decent blocker. So right. like I think you can really use him in a, like the typical H back way sometimes too, just to throw defenses off. Um, you can do all sorts of like pitches and stuff with him there in that, in that space, you know, like uh, shovel passes, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think they could. Yeah. Um, I think and, they and, almost have to, if you're going to yeah, have I those was say, guys on the yeah. field. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they have the H back. They won't have they a tight end. Yeah. I don't think they have like the Clemson H backs that they had, like, no. because like they had guys that were like these, like, um, quicker smaller tight ends almost or that are like more like pass catching tight ends and then they kind of just like talk them how to block but then they can really like move and get out in space um you know what i thought of the other day um we you know there was this whole you know tony said basically like you know he it came down to obviously uva and duke and i was thinking man think about all those duke tight ends that 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 um that they were getting for a number of years imagine those dudes in this offense right in these like h-back roles like they would have crushed it you know, like, cause I felt like, I feel like Duke has had such, you know, I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to throw shade at UVA's tight ends. Um, I mean, I think you, you could really make an argument that the last couple of would be kind of interesting to watch in this too. But I'm just saying like, you know, that is such a huge chess piece and sort of those matchups. You, you find a guy who can, who can block a little bit and kind of turn his shoulders and run. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to probably do pretty well in, in what Tony and his folks run. Yeah, I think, like, they've had some – if you want to talk about, like, other guys UVA's had, that would be, like, best – suit. like, I think, like, Evan Butts, for example, like, he would have been a good H-back because he could move. Um, I would say McGee, but, like, he was maybe not as good of a blocker. Um, You know, he was almost more of, like, a wide receiver playing tight end. Um, Guys like that. I think those are the guys that can really excel. Freeman would have been able to. You have to be able to move. Um, Yeah. Freeman would have been yeah. interesting because he could move a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like and even like Jeremiah Mathis and yeah. guys like that. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, you have to, and it's not just your route running where you have to move. You have to be able to like, a lot of times what they'll do is like, they'll go um, offset shotgun where like the quarterback is, is behind center and the running back is like a step behind him to his right. And then the H back will be like off the left tackle. So like on the opposite side right. and they'll run like a counter to the right. And so the H back at the snap has to cross the line of scrimmage and block the end on the other side. Yeah. So like you have to be sounds able like to get Tanner, over pretty Sounds quick. like Tanner Cowley all over again. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you're, yeah, honestly, he would have been really good in this role. Yeah, he would have. Yeah. He would have. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, like if you can't get over there, then like yeah, you're, you know, you're not really doing your job. Yeah. You're not, um, you're not going to be on the field. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they'll do, and they'll do things like that where they'll be like, Oh, this, this looks like a play where they're going to run it left because the formation and then they'll go they'll break tendency and run it uh, like a counter to the right and have the H back cross the line of scrimmage or they'll run away from the H back um and things like that. Um so I think that's where you can get kind of smart with it. But they had they're in a pretty good spot because like the one thing that UVA offenses didn't have for a long time is just like skill talent and quarterback right. talent. Right. And yeah. I think they have that now. 
like, I mean, they had it the last few years with like Bryce and all these other guys, but um, yeah, I think they're in a, in a spot where they could actually like execute this thing. And one thing I might say is that you might see a player or two that like, you know, we have all these guys sort of on the radar. Um, there might be like a guy that kind of pops up that we're like, Oh, like this staff like values what he does more. Um, right. Yeah. Like Josh Rawlings or something like yeah, that. Or, work. Or Sackett like, work. yeah, yeah, or like, yes, yeah, I could see like Demique Starling. You were talking about like Jets and things like that. I could see yeah, him true. like getting yeah. involved yeah. Uh, more. Any running back, <laughs> any running, running back. back with a pulse. Yeah, that's yeah. True. This is finally the year that Wayne Talapapa breaks out. Yep, this is the one. Wait, I'm I'm being told. Okay, nah, he was the one guy they valued. He was always. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was getting. Yeah, he was getting his touches. Um, all right, I think that's a good place to put a pin, and we'll get into defense and all other unsundry stuff uh, next week. Um, but I, I, yeah, definitely. If you haven't already check out the film room. All right. If you're out there and you have found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined give us a rating and review, we appreciate it. Um, now if you're somebody who's found the pod, but you haven't given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at calvescorner.com. Let's see right now. Like we talked about so many film rooms, um, two of them the last few days, um, Griff caught up with um, the Hawthorne kid talking about sort of changing schools and focusing on being a running back. Uh, Houston caught up with the uh, younger Christy, six foot six uh, shooting guard. Um, I'm not sure if UVA is really going to get that visit, but it would be very interesting if it happened. Um, and, and then Griff also caught up with the, with the Coleman kid who's going to announce his decision here in the next few days. So yeah, lots of stuff to check out on the website as well. Um, I want to thank uh, My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And, of course, I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously their time. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So, for David Smith, Justin Ferber, and Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, thanks for coming out. See you soon. There's something here.